Do you remember what chapter we're in? That's the question. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4. We're turning, turning the page into a new chapter of the book of Proverbs, uh, slowly uh, chipping our way at this book. By the way, um, when we get to chapter 10, uh, probably things will change a bit in terms of how we study the book. The book is organized somewhat chronologically in the first 10 chapters, and then uh, from uh, chapter 10 to chapter 31, for the most part, it's very topical, and, and there's, some, there's some structure in that, but uh, that makes it a bit of a challenge to study uh, together, so um, we'll be looking forward to that. It'll be a, a challenge for me and uh, a challenge for you, but hopefully one that we benefit, we both benefit from. So, so for now, turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Proverbs chapter four, and we're going to continue our verse by verse study in the book of Proverbs. The title of the message today is "Parents, Teens, and Wisdom." We have a uh, all those those three elements come together in this section. We know this is a, a great day to um, think about these topics because we do have several of our young people that are graduating high school. We have one that's graduating or has graduated from college, and uh, so when we're, when we're thinking about uh, as parents, and, and uh, you know, we, we can get a bit nostalgic. We can think back, and you know, where did the time go? And 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 we ought to do that. Thankful for God's grace and the lives of our children. Um, and, and we think particularly about the book of Proverbs as it, it really directs what we're trying to do as parents. It, it, it's, a, it's a book that really serves a dual purpose, as you remember. It's both a book written by parents for parents, but it's also a book written by parents for young people. And of course, even the message of this book and the intentionality of this book transcends the human author, uh, Solomon, and some other uh, uh, wise men who wrote parts of the book with him, that, that the, the, the intent of this book transcends that to God's very revelation, both for parents and for teens. And so there's, there's so much we can glean here for those of us that are parents, uh, you young people that are here, that this book is for you. I mean, th- this book is written for you in your season of life in a way really that no other book in the Bible uh, can compare with. So, so there's good material here, and um, you'll notice um, as we get get into this, it's going to feel like we've read this before. In fact, you may, you may be tempted like I was to look back in my notes and say, is this really where we at? I thought we've covered this already. But, but like, it's, so, it's so obvious we tend to miss it. In parenting and, and teens, this is true in your young adult life, um, yes, there's lots to know, there's lots to learn, there's lots to discover, and, and, and yet we find the Bible saying we need to focus on the same simple but also essential elements over and over and over again. And any, any, any parent that reads this book will find themselves chuckling because what do we do with our children? We, tell the, we tend to tell them the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, uh, when we're new parents, we're shocked that after the first presentation of the material, there is not mastery of the subject. And yet parenting isn't like that, is it? Uh, and we find even in our own walks with God, very often sanctification, as the Bible presents it, is a process, not an event, right? It's, it, we're growing over time by God's grace, as Second uh, Corinthians says, from one glory to another. And parenting is like that too. It's progressive. Um, one of my favorite parenting books uh, talks about um, parenting being primarily a, 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 a time to throw out seeds and, and you're, you're giving material and, and you're training. Parenting is not the main season in life when we see the harvest. 
the harvest is something that comes usually down the road. And not that young people uh, can't uh, exemplify genuine spiritual fruit or change. Certainly they can. But in the Bible's presentation, parenting is a training season and the harvest is coming yet. And so we, we stay focused on the main things in, in parenting here. So let's look together at the verses we're going to cover today. The first 19 verses, uh, by God's grace, we'll work through this together. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, hear, O son, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound, sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mother, Then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. And she will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. But the way of the wicked is like darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. Have you heard some of that before? We see the the, the repetitive nature of Proverbs, and that in and of itself is instructive. As parents... We go over the same essential things. Young people, uh, what it means to walk with God is, is not getting a PhD in theology. It's becoming regular and habitual and, and, um, the pattern of your life becoming faithfulness in these very few things that really matter. And, and that's why, that's why we see the same things being repeated here. Now, now notice, we've seen these before, parents, the elements of a father's instruction, and, and we cannot overstate this. The, the, the premise of this book is that parents are spending time with their children. Uh, yes, playing sports. Yes, what, uh, doing a board game. Yes, uh, maybe watching a movie or, or, or going on a trip together. But, but the, the main premise of this book is parents sitting down with their children, talking about the things of the Lord and, and teaching them the things of God. And, and so we see the, do you hear in these first few verses here the strain of a parent? Do you hear it in his voice? And even, it's interesting, the Hebrew poetry um, it, it communicates in a way that this, this urgency, that this, this weightiness of what this man is doing. And that, guys, as a dad, I just confess that that is so hard to remember the, the great weight and responsibility of what it means to be a parent. That, that we, 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 
press into them, we train them, we spend time with them, we love them where they instruct them with, with this great weight of responsibility on our shoulders. Notice just some key elements of this. The urgency of the Father as he ministers. This is not something to take it or leave it. This is not something for another day. This is something, son, you need to consider now and put this into your life now. Notice the clear, focused message. Have you noticed that? The simplicity of this book, as as many of the subjects that he covers, the the author always brings it back to the simplicity of wisdom, of the things of God, of the ways of God, uh, personified in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately, and then then fleshed out in the instructions of Scripture, this way of wisdom. He's, He's singular in his focus to communicate that. Notice the commands. Um, good night. Uh, to, to be a parent is to instruct your children in commands. Uh, we reject the modern psychological uh, research and parenting methodology that says you should never tell your children no. You should never tell them the way to think. You, you should never tell them truth from error. And we just sort of let them discover those things from themselves and express who they are. If you do that, they will do that. They will express their depravity. They will express their nature. Proverbs 22 says, if you you train up a child in his own way, meaning you take your hands off the steering wheel of parenting, when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise to parents, it's a warning to parents. Because a child left unchecked with parental involvement will go the way of his nature. And that is not good. So there's commands involved. Notice the repetition. We should not be surprised that we have to have the same discussion over again. And, and, and teenagers, when you hear your parents telling you the same things, it's not because they think you're stupid, and it's not because, you know, um, uh, there, there's nothing more to, to talk about. It's because these are the very things that are your life. Now, you will find as, as you get older, life gets more complicated. And you know what that means? It's very hard, teenager, to keep your eyes focused on the things that really matter. There are wonderful things in this life, wonderful graces, wonderful blessings of God, and and all of you, especially you graduates, are gifted by God. You're going to go out and do great things. We know that because you guys are talented and wonderful and gifted. But the message of this book is never lose sight of the main thing. And as your parents and as other adults in the church, our job is to help keep focusing your eyes back to the things that really matter. And repetition is necessary to do that. Parents, notice with me the key words. Hear, give attention, do not abandon, hold fast, keep, acquire, do not forget, do not forsake, take hold of, guard. Those should be the main words in your parental vocabulary. That's what we learn from this. And and again, teenager, young person, uh our job as parents is to help you. We're on your team. I mean, we are on your team. We, we love you more than anyone else in this life as your parents. And because we love you, we want to train you and focus you on these things uh, so that you can know and honor God uh, in your life. Now notice also, coming right out of these verses, in verses 3 to 9, listen to this. When I was a son to my father tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he, my dad, taught me. And we see right here what is another theme of the book of Proverbs, and that is the theme of grandparenting. Or we might call it a multi-generational view of parenting. And this is really interesting. 
where did Solomon learn all this? You said he was, he was the wisest man that ever lived. Well, why, why is that? Because uh, he asked, God said, I'll give you anything you want. And he said he wanted wisdom. So God gave him wisdom. And because of his humility in that, he didn't want riches or honor or something like that. God says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else too. I mean, so, I don't think we can imagine the status and, and the, the, um, the riches and the wisdom of this man. I, I, I really don't think we have a category for somebody like that. But that's this guy. That's the guy, the human author that God used to write this book. And yet, we say, where did he get some of that? It wasn't just that, that sort of supernatural, miraculous wisdom that God gave him. A lot of what Solomon said is that God used agency. And what agency did God use to make this man, in part, wise as he was? Well, what is it? His own parents, his his dad. And, and we see that, especially for the dads in the room here, and even you young men that are going off, and, and maybe in the next you know, three years, five years, seven years, you get married, you start a family. Embrace this vision with me now, that parenting is not just about those short people in your home, and, and maybe like the Steinmans, those those really tall uh, young men that are in the home now, right? They're, get, they're getting taller than, than even mom and dad there. But um, it's not just about the, our own children. We, we are ministering to our children, but, but as we look, uh, the, the horizon of our perspective goes beyond our own children to even our children's children. And I, and I footnoted here Psalm 78. We don't have time to look at that right now. Psalm 78 is a wonderful song about a multi-generational view of gospel ministry in your homes. So that would be a great psalm to reflect on an application later. But, but notice with me, in these verses, Solomon repeats to his own sons the instruction of his own father, David. And that tells us, parents... And that tells us, young people, that the primary way, listen, the primary way that grandparents influence their grandchildren is through their own parenting. Do you get that? And I, I made a diagram here because it was, it, I kept getting lost in the pronouns. So, so, when in doubt, draw a diagram, right? So grandparents train their own children who then become parents of their grandchildren, right? And, and the main way that grandparents influence their grandchildren, according to this verse, is what? As how? By influencing their own children who then influence their grandchildren. Okay? Now that's not the only way. Many of you, uh, many, many of you, um, maybe are in a season of life where as grandparents, you are the sole spiritual influence in your, in the life of your grandchildren. Uh, maybe their parents, the, 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 uh, parents of your grandchildren are not believers or maybe they're not walking with the Lord. And, and so you're doing that. And that's awesome. Keep doing that and pray for them. Spend time with your grandchildren. And, and, and so we're not saying that this is the, the, the only way, but it is interesting that as parents, we need to look beyond this generation in our home to the generations even to come. And, and I just found that very challenging. I, I don't look at my kids and think they're going to have kids someday. I mean, do you guys do that? You guys got little kids in the home, right? You know, you do that. I mean, do you guys do that? You, you, know, you think about that, think, but, but that's, that's the perspective. And, and I find that I will parent differently with that horizon in mind because I'm, I'm looking even beyond them. I, I, we talk about things, when I'm thinking about that, we'll talk about things I won't think to talk about if I don't have that perspective in mind because they're going to be parents someday. And they're going to train up the next generation. And not just in the home, they're going to be the next generation of leaders in the church. 
So, so the investment that we make in our young people is so important, and, and, and the, the Bible's perspective is to let that be multi-generational in perspective, okay? Now that means grandparenting starts before you have grandchildren. Isn't that interesting? Grandparenting starts in terms of spiritual influence before you have grandchildren. Of course, now we come alongside. Some of you have grandchildren. Some of you have great-grandchildren, right? And then and, and you're just multi-generational all over the place. And that's awesome that you're, you're still going strong and, and ministering the things of God. But um, I just thought that was a very interesting perspective. Now, now, notice with me, Bathsheba was Solomon's mother, right? You remember that? David, uh, David, disregarded the very clear word of God which particularly describes monogamy to the kings of Israel. Okay, Now, monogamy is God's will. We know that because in Genesis 2, God created one man and one woman for a lifetime commitment of marriage. We understand that. Um, polygamy or having multiple wives was common in the culture, and the Israelites struggled with that. Even, even some of the great uh, men of faith struggled with that. But, but this was a clear violation of the law of God uh, for David, that he had multiple wives. And, of course, uh, you remember he acquired Bathsheba as a wife in a very, very ungodly way. But Solomon was um, Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. And you can go back and, and read those verses there. Uh, sometimes it's hard to remember how many wives David had and where the kids came from and, and all that. So when he says there, when I was a son to my, wa- uh, my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, um, Solomon actually had siblings through Bathsheba. So, so David is thinking back, or excuse me, Solomon is thinking back to a time when he was the only child. You remember David and Bathsheba, they committed adultery, they had a child, and God, God ended the child's life as part of God's judgment on David. Solomon was the next child to come. But then there was a, a, a span of time between Solomon's birth and he had, I think, three other siblings. But so, so Solomon is thinking back to that time when he was the, the sole child in the home and, and what his father David did in terms of his instruction. Then he taught me and said, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her and she will guard you, love her and she will watch over you. Uh, We we notice here uh, some things, we've heard this before, but let me just highlight some new stuff. Notice according to verse 4, heart change is the goal here in parenting, isn't it? Verse 4, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Um, uh, Mr. Slaughter, Lee Slaughter, in giving the devotional charge to our graduates this morning, highlighted how well taught our young people are in this church. And you know why they're well taught? Because of all of you. Because as godly parents, you have, you have parented them well in the things of the Lord. As a church, you have supplemented the parents here in terms of Awana and youth ministry and other events where children benefit, the preaching of the word, Sunday school, all these sorts of things. Our young people are the recipients of great knowledge and great training, and we, we praise the Lord for that. But that's not the goal. The goal is for that teaching, that theological truth to impact and transform a heart resulting in transformation of the life. And I appreciate uh, Lee's emphasis on that this morning in his devotion. That's right here. That's what he's saying. It's about your heart holding fast to my words. Not just behavior modification, it's heart transformation that we're after in parenting. And, And did you notice too, where did Solomon learn about Lady Wisdom. Remember Lady Wisdom? 
the, the, the greatest lady that he wants to introduce to his sons? Where, where did Solomon learn that? What's that? From David. From, from his father. So you see that, and, and some of you, uh, uh, some of you have had the chance to see this, haven't you? You see your own children teaching their own children some of the thing, same things that you went over. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing to see that? Uh, we, we know that God uses many means, um, and so, um, but, but that, we, we see that, that influence there, and, and that's a great challenge here, a great reminder uh, for that. But no, yeah, he learned, Solomon learned about lady wisdom from his father. Listen to the, the review lesson here. Prize her, love her, acquire her. I, I love this. And, and this, this is like spiritual kindergarten, but it's so important, okay? The beginning of wisdom is this. Go get wisdom. Isn't that great? Look, look back at it with me. It says, um, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom. Now, now let's think about that. Teenager, think about that for a minute. There are a thousand things competing for your attention and for your affection and for your heart. Aren't they? Uh, we're going to talk uh, next hour um, in, in uh, the sermon that I'm going to give later on about devotion and distraction. And do you see here, can you see Solomon saying, son, I know football is awesome, right? I know that quadcopter is just killer. I know that video game. I know that movie. I know that hobby. I know that sport. I know that entertainment. I know that musical instrument. I know those are awesome, wonderful things. Acquire wisdom. It needs to be at the top of your list. And this is interesting. You're not going to become a wise person according to the Bible accidentally. You become a wise person, as we've learned over and over again, even in the first three chapters of this, by setting the goal of acquiring wisdom as the the desire of your heart. You know, it's, it's, son, this is so important. Do you want to be, you know, most young people, and maybe we can poll here, do any of you want to be just really stupid? I mean, do you really just want to be, you know, fools for, for, um, you know, the rest of life? I mean, I don't, I don't, I've never said to my kids, I don't think our youth group say, do you want to be a fool or do you want to be wise? Oh, yeah, I want to be a fool, ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, 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 that's not, no one's going to say that, right? But it's one thing to say, I don't want to be a fool. It's another thing to say, well, how can I avoid that? And this verse is saying, it sounds like spiritual kindergarten, but it's so important, young people, you have to make it your aim to acquire wisdom. If you're not looking for it, if you're not wanting it, if you're not fighting for it, if you're not spending time in the Scripture, gleaning from the things of God, if you're not doing of that, any of that, you're not going to become a wise person. Uh, you, you don't take a pill and become wise. You, you make it your aim. You make it your goal in life. And that, that's what he's highlighting here. And notice, remember what Lady Wisdom will do for you? She'll guard. She watches over you. She exalts. She honors. She graces you. All those things we saw back in the previous chapter. Now, teens, I want to I talk to you for a minute. Because the, the, the text here is going to focus particularly on you for a minute, okay? So let me, let me go over this with you, okay? So, so parents, uh, hang out just for a second, okay? I'm going to talk to the, to the young people here. Um, you are, young person, what you believe. 
You are what you believe. That, that's, it, it, that's the big picture of what Solomon is saying in this chapter and in subsequent chapters. I mean, I mean just watch, watch this, okay? I, if that doesn't make sense, watch how this works, okay? Listen to the language of the words we've just looked at, okay? Instruction, understanding, sound teaching, my words. These, these are all the words in the section we just read, okay? My words, my commandments, wisdom, words of my mouth, sayings, upright paths. What are all those saying? All those are saying to you teenagers, there is something that you need to embrace. There is a message that you need to lock onto and believe and buy into and live by. And, and, and notice as Solomon presents it here, we don't come into the world. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't come into the world already, uh, already having this message in check. In fact, the Bible says we come into the world believing lies. That's what characterizes an unbeliever. That, that's why the devil is called the father of lies. Because that, as, as those who have been influenced by him, not just as individuals, but a whole race, the whole human race, we come into the world believing things that aren't true. So teenager, the, the, the thing that this book is trying to help you to see is who you become as a person depends upon what you believe. And, and this is, this is so simple in terms of the choices, okay? There, there are two ways, not 58, not 17, there are two ways, okay? You can, according to this book, you can trust God, believe his word, and obey his word, okay? That, that's one option. And, and if you do that, it's looking at the Bible, it's reading it, it's understanding it, as we talked about, it's, it's acquiring the knowledge, but then here's the difference. Knowledge is not transformative until you believe it. Okay? You, you, you can have a master of theology degree. You, you can be an expert in what the Bible teaches, and it will not transform you. It will not change you as a person until you say, I believe that, I trust that, and I'm going to live like that's really true. Okay? That's the difference. So teenager, you are what you believe. Now, there's another option, and, and actually this is, this is the road that we all come into life on. This is the road uh, of every human experience. Ready? Just trust yourself and do whatever you want to do. Okay? There, th- there it is. There's the two choices on the shelf. Um, we, and, and that's why it's so important to recognize this book, the wisdom of the Bible, is what's needed in terms of the person that you become. Because you are, you are what you believe. Whichever one of those paths you buy into, that's the person you become. Now, now, now here's the thing, okay? How is God going to help you in that? Answer? He gave you parents. Parents are God's delivery system to teach you and direct you in the right path. That's what this chapter is about. Your parents are God's delivery system to teach you these things, to help you to get on that path. Isn't that great? Uh, I mean, aren't you, aren't you great you have coaches? You know, you just don't go out on the field and say, well, how do we figure out this football thing, right? And you just, okay, maybe the ball goes this way, maybe it goes that way, and do we kick it, do we throw it, what's a play, where's the line? You know, you have a coach that instructs you, and that's what makes you a good player, right? Well, that, that's what parents are. They're spiritual coaches. 
They're designed to help you to understand life and, and how we do things and how we, uh, what we t- should believe and, and what we should avoid. And so remember, teens, you are, at the end of the day, you are what you believe. You become the message that you, the person you become depends upon the message that you buy into and you ultimately trust. Okay? Now, uh, old people, that's true for us too. Right? Nothing unique about, about teens, but that, that's crucial for all of us to understand. Now, speaking of old people, parents, what is parenting mostly about? Parenting is mostly about a battle of ideas. If, if teenagers become what they believe, if we all are what we believe, then where is the battle line? What, what, what is, what is the trenches of being a parent look like? It's a battle for ideas. It's a battle over messages, and it's a battle over messages that lead to ideas, that lead to wants, that lead to desires, that lead to priorities, that lead to actions, that lead to behavior, that leads to a whole generation of life. But where does it start? It starts with a battle over what our children think and believe and buy into, which means a lot of parenting is helping our children wrestle through truth and error, right? We see this in this book. This is true, this is not. This seems right, but it's deception. We need to remember that. And and parents, notice with me how Solomon demonstrates that. Listen to his words. Instruction, understanding, sound teaching, my words, my commandment. You've seen this before, haven't you? Wisdom, words in my mouth, sayings, upright paths. That's parenting. It's a tug of war over the things of the world, the things of the flesh, the things of, of our natural depravity and the truth of God. And we're engaging our children at the mental level, the cognitive level of these ideas of truth versus error. And notice that's why Solomon is saying things like this. Accept my sayings. It, it's, it's a battle to get our kids to repent of the ideas and worldview and, and knowledge of their fallen nature and to accept then the things of God and to buy into and entrust his word and his priorities. And so Solomon is saying this, accept my sayings, I have led you to do this. So, so parents, let's never forget, parenting is largely a battle for ideas. We, we must engage our children in terms of what they're thinking, what they're believing, and what they're wanting, because that's where the spiritual battle is. And that, of course, that's not just true with parenting, is it? What does the Apostle Paul say is the key issue in sanctification? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where's spiritual battle? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's spiritual battle, not just for short people, but for those of us that are a bit taller as well. Okay. Now, look with me at verses 10 to 13. We see here, again, the benefits of wisdom. And we've seen most of these before, but here's, here's the thing. We, parents, we've talked about this before, but we need to see it again. What does Solomon do? Verse uh, 10. Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. What's he doing? He's putting the benefits of wisdom in front of his children again. Because here's what they'll do. They'll say, oh, God's word, that's really important. Now what's for lunch? Oh, yeah, I learned some good verses in the youth ministry tonight. Oh, let's go jump on video games. See, their, their attention span is measured in nanoseconds, isn't it, as teenagers? 
So as parents, how do we work that? We're teaching them the things of God. But notice, notice the example of Solomon. He's constantly taking the benefits of wisdom, the benefits of pursuing God. And what's he doing? He's bringing it over. He's pushing the iPad out of the way, and he's setting them right in front of his kids. See the benefits. Look at the benefits. Brings them in front of their eyesight and their view. So that's what we do. We keep the benefits in front of our children. What are they? According to these verses, long life. Avoiding impediments and stumbling. Having wisdom in your life and the benefits. Take hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her for she is your life. And it's so hard, guys. It's so hard. There are so many things competing for the affection of our children. And parenting is an overtime profession, isn't it? We, we, don't, keep, we don't keep a time clock because it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're teaching, we're training, we're battling ideas, and we're taking the glorious benefits of godliness and we're setting them in front of our children. We're showing them how the things of God are more valuable and more attractive and more beneficial than anything else you can have in this world. And we get to do that. Okay, so we see that there, the benefits of wisdom. Let's move on. Look at verses 14 to 19. Avoid the path of the wicked. Now, now young person, uh, teenager, um, and again, I think Mr. Slaughter's message was so helpful in terms of preparing you for coming out of this place in your life that is, that is really a safe place for the most part. You have godly parents, you have a wonderful church, you have godly peers, godly friends, you, you have structure in your life. It's, it's like, you ever seen a, a building being constructed? You ever seen that, that it's going up for the first time, maybe an industrial building, and there's all that scaffolding, and there's cranes, and there's support rods, and all this, and then one day, you drive by the building, and the scaffolding's gone, and the support are gone, and the cranes are gone, and you're wondering, will the foundational structure of the building itself sustain the weight of the building without externally imposed structure? And that's what graduation is like, isn't it, Mr. Slaughter, right? It's the, it's the removal of a lot of that external structure. And young person, you're getting to see, can you stand on your own? And if you were listening to Mr. Slaughter this morning, you recognized that you can't stand on your own. You need the local church. You need godly friends. Uh, as my professor in seminary used to say, spiritually speaking, lone rangers are dead rangers, because that's not God's plan. God's plan is not we, we go off into the sunset, you know, on silver by ourselves. But we join a church. We, we're part of a community. Then we walk together through this. So you will meet as you go off into life, and you're meeting some of these people now, wonderful people that will destroy you. Nice people that will be the end of you. You will meet amazingly gifted and talented people who live for all the wrong things. And that person, that person can take you down spiritually. So Solomon, being a wise father, says, Son, I want to show you some of these people you're going to meet and what I want you to do about them, okay? So th- this, is, this is great. This is so clear. Look at verses 14 and following. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Now, what does that mean? The, the word path or way, as it used here, means lifestyle or worldview or habits. 
or way of living. So when teenager, when it says here, do not enter the path of the wicked, what it's saying is, do not follow their lifestyle. Do not acquire their value system. Don't prioritize in, in, in your life what they prioritize in their life. Don't look at their life and say, I want to be like that. Don't envy wicked people. Remember that from the Psalms? When, when even Asaph, the, the worship leader, began to envy the ungodly people around him, and he's going, they got stuff, they got relationships, they're comfortable, they're healthy, they're all these things. And Asaph gets to the point where he's like, maybe my faith isn't worth it. You remember that in Psalm 71 or 73? Um, that's what it's saying here. Don't desire their lifestyle, their path, their habits, their way of living. Don't, don't, copy, don't copy the playlist on their iPod. Don't buy the same video games that they purchase. Don't spend your money on the same things they spend their money on. Don't don't watch the same movies they watch. Don't talk like they talk. Don't work where they work. Don't follow their path, their way, their value system. You say, why is that? Because it will be the end of you. That, that's the danger that Solomon wants to, to show here. Notice with me, um, it says, do not proceed in the way of evil, verse 14, 15. Avoid it, do not pass by it, turn away from it and pass on. Th- th- listen to this, don't enter it, proceed on it, or go near it, turn away from it. Th- this, is like, this is like the adulterous woman. Remember we talked about her already, we'll see her again in chapter 6. You don't even go near the door of her house. Now, now, teenager, let, let me let me talk to you about something very significant here. Let, let me tell you how a lot of a lot of church kids that grew up in wonderful homes and lo- wonderful churches. Let me tell you how they go astray. Okay, they see the line of sin, they see the cliff that leads to eternal destruction. They see sin in relationships. They see sin in entertainment. They see sin in in vocation. They see sin in social media. They see sin in movies. They see sin on the internet. And instead of saying, how can I stay as far away from that as I can? This is what so many church young people do. They say, how close can I get to that without it being sin? And that will be the end of you. Listen to Solomon. Don't even go near the path of the wicked. Because the, do you remember in Star Wars? Guys, you remember Star Wars? Do you remember the, the tractor beam? Remember the, the Millennium Falcon is shooting through space and they're going to drive again. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's the Death Star. Okay, let's turn it around. And oh, why, why, we're in full reverse. What's wrong, Chewie? We're caught in a tractor beam. And it's pulling us in. I'm in full reverse. We've got to shut the engines down. Okay? Guys, the closer you get to wickedness, the stronger the tractor beam of sinful enticement and temptation will be to draw you in. And so Solomon says, don't go near. This happened, we talk about this in our relationship series, the, the dating uh, relationship series that we teach uh, as part of our high school curriculum. A lot of young people in a dating relationship ask this question. How far can I go and it not be sin? That is the wrong question to ask. That, that is a question that will lead to your sure compromise in that relationship. The question that a young person should ask in a boy-girl relationship is this. How holy can we be? 
How above reproach can we stay in this relationship? How can we preserve our godly testimony for our uh, friends around us? How can we live in such a way that when we're talking as old people to our children someday when we're married and we talk about those dating days, we can talk about them in a way that there is no guilt and no shame and no regret. The question is not how close to sin can you get. The question is how holy can you be? That's what this is about. Don't go near it. Don't play around with it. Now notice... The commitment to wickedness here is chronic. Look at verse 16. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. Um, And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Now, when you meet this person on the football team, when you meet this person at your place of work, when you meet this person um, when you're you're hanging out with your friends, they're not going to seem this bad. Wicked people often never seem as bad as they really are. Now, we're not saying there's not good qualities or they're not, they can't be nice people. What, what, what I'm saying to young people is you cannot be deceived by appearance. A person whose heart is not trusting the Lord is stuck in a cycle of chronic wickedness. As nice as they can be, that is theologically true. And it says here, uh, teenagers, have you understood... Young people that do wicked things love to have others join them. And part of that is it's a soothing to their own conscience, right? There's a part of them, if their conscience isn't totally seared, there's a part of them that knows what they're doing is wrong. And it makes them feel better, you ready? When you join them. So be careful. That's the tractor beam effect that we're talking about here. They want to have others join them. Verse 17, they eat the bread of wickedness, they drink the wine of violence. That's Romans 3, right? It's it's total depravity. But notice this, look at verse 18. Uh, I'm sorry, missed a blank there. Violence and wickedness are their diet. Their commitment to wickedness is chronic. They love to have others join them. Now, look at this, look at 18. I love this. This is stuck right in the middle of this dark verse. But the path of righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And I thought about that and I thought, light is a, is a metaphor and the Bible uses a lot. Like light and day and, and it's a metaphor for righteousness. It's a metaphor for godliness. But young people, think with me for a minute. In what sense is righteousness like the light of dawn? Um, okay, so let's, let's talk real basic here, okay? Um, what is it before dawn? It's dark, right? Which means you can't do what very well? Right, you can't see. So young person, think about this. When you choose God's path, when you trust Christ, when you commit your way to wisdom, to godliness, you know what that does? And, And you'll follow this with me. It allows you to begin seeing life clearly for the very first time. It allows you to start seeing, wow, this is what life's about. This is what I ought to do. This is where I ought to put my time and my affections and my priorities. Now, conversely, if you're in darkness, if you're walking in wickedness, listen to this. Listen to what this says. But the path of the wicked 
blinds them from seeing their own stumbling blocks. The more you walk in wickedness, the more you hang out with wicked people, the more you walk in foolishness, the more you go your own way. Not only is there destruction at the end of that path, but young person, look at what it says. You will not even see the very things that trip you up and you stumble over and are the detriments of your life. You can't see. We need the light, the illumination of God's word. You, you, uh, young, great Awanaverse, young person, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what this is talking about. So if you want to avoid the stumbling blocks in the world and the path of the wicked and the destruction that comes from that, you need the light of the gospel that brings the light of righteousness that allows you to see, spiritually speaking, for the very first time. And, and young person, that, that light will allow you to avoid many dangers, toils, and snares in your life. It really will. Okay, so by God's grace, young people, old people, all of us, choosing the way of wisdom and making this the main topic of our conversation in our families and in our church together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you that, that wisdom is personified in the Lord Jesus Christ and it is revealed in the scriptures that we have before us. Lord, I pray for our young people and especially our graduates as they launch out into this new season of life uh, that they, they would trust you and they, they would cling to you and your word with all of their heart, avoiding wickedness, clinging to wisdom. And Father, we pray uh, that you would work in their hearts to keep them on this path, to preserve them in these years of college or work Father, will you, will you be kind? Will you be gracious? Will you be merciful to our young people? Will you transform their hearts? Give them a confidence in you. Give them a confidence in your word. Might they ask the question, how holy can I be? Not how close can I get to evil and it not be sin? And Lord, we're grateful for godly families. We're thankful for so many godly people in this church that have ministered to our young people as we continue our prayer ministry to them we pray that they would walk with you always lord might this might this book become a treasure a treasure to them that they lean on it that they read it that they study it and they pursue its message we pray in christ's name amen